Project Lawful aka Plane Crash by Yarwain aka Eliezer Yudkowski and Lintamande. Thread 4, Project Lawful and Their Oblivious Boyfriend. Episode 83. I feel like I've done noticeably worse on this lecture than some others. Hopefully that reflects my having so little sense of which examples to use for Galarian, and not that my performance is going to continue degrading further as I try to talk about anything more complicated. Maybe next time I'll start with abstract mathematical properties, and then try to derive real-world lessons from those, rather than the other way around, to see if that works any better for us. It did seem worth trying to do it the way I learned it first, but, I mean, on the other hand, you are not actually seven-year-olds, and that may importantly expand the option space if something isn't working. It's at this point, having reached an obvious breakpoint in his lecture, that Keltham checks his pocket watch and realizes he's been talking way too long, relative to other processes, such as, for example, lunch. For the future record, Keltham says, you're allowed to tell me if I'm running this late over lunch. Let's all suddenly frantically run there at a sedate walking pace and hope there's any food left. This instruction causes a fair bit of invisible distress before they decide he's joking and go to lunch. Message to Sevar. Ioni here. On future occasions, I want more backup when I'm trying to have Keltham not collapse everyone's minds. I can be the one who dares to interrupt him. It's my library, after all. But I don't think it's a good look when everybody, except me, is sitting frozen in terror of heresy. Do you have a convenient excuse for us to have a private lunch about something? Also, seems possibly good if Pilar is there, too. Ioni, Pilar, you guys wanted to copy invisibility off me, right? I don't think we're allowed to eat in the library, but you can come to my room and copy during lunch. Damn straight you're not allowed to eat in my library, Takaral. Fuck. She'd been hoping that was gone. Pilar will, of course, follow obediently along. After Carissa Savar, not after the heretic who abandoned Lord Asmodeus for Nethys the moment she could. That's three out of three research group members definitely known to have interesting backgrounds. Romantic possibilities. Advanced predictions. Maybe 20% that something interesting happens with the three of them, assuming tropes. 1% if no tropes. Prestidigitation works fine on books, Ioni. Was that less true when the Herald of Nethes Takaral was alive? Maybe it was. Anyway, my room is fine. Off they head. She closes the door behind her and has her unseen servant bop around, failing to bump into any invisible people, just because it's what a fourth circle wizard would do. Ione requested we meet. She says for Pilar's benefit and looks at Ione expectantly. Repeating for Pilar's benefit. I managed to keep Keltum from immediately exploding all the minds of all the Asmodeans in class today, but I don't think it's a good look when everybody else is frozen up in fear of heresy. I can be the one who interrupts Keltum since it's my library, but the others need to stop going quiet or he's going to notice. Sevar talks because she's confident she has the authority to decide to do that. I'm thinking maybe Pilar can be confident enough to speak up too. Is there a plan for not having everybody's minds collapse? I also asked Pilar along because she's the third person in class who isn't going to have her mind explode if Keltham rips apart everything designed to make Asmodeans not realize how much they don't want to go to hell. Thank you for that very constructive frame for the discussion, Ione. Thank you is only used sarcastically in Cheliax. 
I don't think the core problem is that people don't want to go to hell. My lol is a fifth circle cleric of Asmodeus, and he said he's not looking forward to it. Therefore, it's fine for people to not look forward to it. Though I think when they actually get good at reasoning, they will look forward to it because they'll want to get even better. But mileage might vary. There is a very real possibility that 9 out of 10 people exposed to Dath Illinism just become very miserable about going to hell and can't get over it, and it'd be worth it even with attrition rates that high, but... But I don't expect that. I expect that whatever arguments Contessa Lurilatha believes are true, and we just have to get people through the rough patch where they don't know those yet, and do know enough to think themselves in a million dangerous directions. Works on you works on Pilar. I find myself not even slightly tempted to ask Lord Nethys to take back his grip on my soul so that I can go to hell and be improved through horrible pain that causes me to not even remember my human name when they're done, instead of sitting in an enormous library relearning magic takaral. Besides you two, I doubt anybody else in class except maybe Meritzel is somebody who would actually want that. Essentially, all of the Asmodianism that I was ever taught is, in fact, a tissue of things that are obvious lies or bad reasoning or downright meaningless as soon as you're allowed to think about them. Keltham didn't get far into forcing everyone to think about it because I shut him down, which I could do because I'm not going to hell and don't have to believe in any of that anymore, meaning I already watched it all collapse inside me and I could see the direction Keltham was pushing people. So it didn't explode today, but Keltham's not going to just not teach that stuff without a reason. And even given a reason, I bet doth Illinism doesn't actually work without it. The entire project that I have been set is coming up with a doth Illinism that actually works and is true, which is compatible with the fact that all of us will go to hell and that it is written into the contract of creation that eventually everyone will go to hell. Doth Illinism is a set of tools, and it ought to be possible to use them whatever world you find yourself in, and we find ourselves in a world where we belong to Asmodeus, and reasoning doesn't stop working when that's true. It'd be an enormous weakness in law if you couldn't use it if you were going to go to hell. She can feel herself not fully using her brain to have this argument, though. Anyway, we have some latitude for, like... If we end up concluding that hell needs improvement, well, it's an imperfect expression of our Lord's will, and he wants this project, so he wants the kinds of souls this project outputs, and if necessary, we'll figure out how to ensure they are adequately accommodated in hell. If that's the vision you expect to convince my classmates, and let's be clear, I find myself not even slightly tempted to turn my back on Lord Nethys for it then you'd better start thinking of how to inspire everyone with it before Keltham explodes their minds. My sense is that Lord Nethys looks favorably on this project with Asmodeus, but I am not certain of his plans. If at some point it looks like failure is inevitable, I will begin considering the prospect that Nethys means me to stay with Keltham after this blows up. I'll continue to try to shut down Keltham when I think he's about to explode people, unless countermanded by you but not if it gets to the point where I think I'm making myself look bad to him and hindering a plan by Lord Nethys to have me accompany Keltham elsewhere. What happened in class today? Was Lord Nethys pulling your asses out of the lava? 
if I hadn't been there, or Nethys hadn't oracled me. Everybody in there would have sat in place, frozen in shock at the heresy, and too worried about appearances to Keltham to say anything, while Keltham kept talking, until somebody broke and had to be dominated. I can't fix this. I can only slow it down and give you time. I've said my piece, and if you'd nothing more of me, I can go. I can copy invisibility off a of security. Sigh. I might run some versions by you once it's more developed. Go. She's gone, quietly impressed that Sivar manages to take criticism that well. Is she nervous? Only slightly. Knowing that Nethys can still see the future leads her to have a lot of faith in his plans. At worst, this all explodes. The Asmodeans kill her, or her library curse kills her. And then Nefreti Klepati brings her back and sends her over to wherever Keltham went. I obviously stand ready to torture or kill her if that'd be helpful. Pilar says it more because she thinks she ought to than because she means it. Something in Ione's words shook the same part of her that had the thought, in Elysium, about it being better if only people who wanted to go to hell went to hell. I wish, says Carissa. She's feeling shaken, too. Why do you want to go to hell? Does that make her sound like she's only pretending herself? In case Meritzel is the only one persuadable of my reasoning. I wasn't very good at arguing this when I tried to argue it to the Elysians, and the Grand High Priestess told me afterwards that it was wrong for me to have tried, because they weren't persuadable. But I'll try again. Because I can't exist without somebody above me who hurts me and tells me what to do and punishes me if I don't do it. And what they tell me doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to mean something. I mean, not just anything, but it's the lawful part of lawful evil, what the punishments and the right behaviors are about. It can't be somebody neutral evil or chaotic evil who's just using me as a slave on a farm and not forcing me onto a right path. It can't be someone who hurts me because they think I enjoy it and they respect my personal individual desires. Like chaotic good, that's meaningless. That's not about the thing that Lord Asmodeus is about. I don't know how to say it. The Elysians kept arguing to me that Asmodeus didn't deserve my loyalty because he didn't care about me, except as a useful thing, or at best a pretty thing to own, and, I mean, fine. It's just very obvious to me that there's no other god I've ever heard of besides Lord Asmodeus who matches the shape of my own soul. It's not an exchange. It's not a friendship. He's just the god of Pilar's. Though Pilar does sometimes wish that Asmodeus were a little different, in some ways, from exactly what he is. Well, don't take this as an order right this second, but I want you to have ten kids because it'd be very convenient if that were heritable. It doesn't seem convincible, unfortunately. Thank you, Pilar. You should go to the temple and take a punishment for listening to heresy. She's going to hope no one assigns her one because... Because the state of her soul is hell's concern and the church's is for the state of her project. It's not the right order, and that's fine. Her superiors don't have to be perfect. They just have to be the shape of the thing that has to be above Pilar. Acknowledged, she says, and goes. I don't see how you can use probability to solve murders, Meritzel is saying to Keltham at lunch. 
because you'd often end up really unsure and it'd be embarrassing to act while that unsure. Are people really all right with, we have decided there is a 70% chance this is the murderer, so we're going to execute him now and be done with it? A watching security continues to think that this is hilarious and that Marisol does not seem to have any understanding of how to proactively seduce a high-value target, rather than, say, being the pretty girl at the top of her class, who just needs to repeatedly be nearby at a man until he naturally comes to desire her and make the first move in the game she knows how to play. That's exactly what makes it important to have a legible legal procedure which says we think this person has a 92% chance of being guilty, which is over the 85% threshold that all the cities use for non-soul-death murder. So he goes to the last resort, which is the place that has to accept you when nowhere else would accept you anymore. What's the alternative? Pretend to be certain? Pretend that a court in Galarian that claims to be totally certain of its findings won't actually be wrong at least one time in seven, if not more. When your courts output probability judgments, you can check against the cases where the criminal files a confidential report with the Confidential Criminal Court Calibration Commission saying what actually happened, or the cases where decisive evidence turns up later. You can check if courts that say 92% are actually right, 92 times out of 100. What do you do when a court just claims to be right? How could you tell how well they're doing? Is it the fault of the number, 70%, that you're ending up unsure? If that's what the state of the evidence is, then that's the state of the evidence. The problem isn't the number, it's that you couldn't find evidence good enough. Not reasoning in numbers isn't going to help you not be unsure. I mean, I think I'd say if you're that unsure you keep trying to learn more, it'd be a rare murder where you couldn't be more sure if you spent more time looking. And I think courts in Galarian are far more sure than that, almost all the time, because they get confessions under truth spells. Yeah, I guess the charms of probability-theoretic reasoning in criminal justice might well be lost on you if you've got truth spells. Unless there's such a thing as people who can defeat truth spells not detectably, in which case nobody has any idea how to figure out what's true without truth spells, and they can go under the truth spell and say that the chief executive of civilization ate their pet goldfish and get the chief executive fired. I mean, to be clear, I'm not saying that's what would happen here. I'm just saying... That's how it would go wrong in a Dathilani fantasy novel. Happy, peaceful civilization with universal absolute honesty, based on truth spells. One person figures out how to defeat them. Oops, everybody except the protagonist has forgotten how to think on their own and detect lies. I mean, if nothing else, the chief executive of civilization could say under a truth spell that he didn't eat the trained animal. And then everyone would know they had a truth spells problem. Fair. They'd have to be slightly more subtle than that. Slightly. Have you heard about this weird guy who all these important people just attack? Like, yesterday he had to kill the chief executive of civilization in self-defense? What is up with that? Giggle. I think as long as less than one in a hundred people can beat a truth spell, then you get 99%, which seems like a more reasonable rate. But if anyone claims that something really improbable happened, you might still figure they found a way. Are you allowed to kill the chief executive of civilization in self-defense? We don't have truth spells, so that would be an ass of a case to try to convince civilization's courts of, I mean, our chief executive is selected by a process which makes it very unlikely that they'd ever try to murder anyone. But if we actually had perfectly reliable truth spells, then sure, obviously. If they're not perfectly reliable, then a 1 in a 100 failure rate doesn't mean you get 99% good results. 
The 1% of people who can defeat truth spells become criminals and bring the whole system down. You're not dealing with crimes by random people. You're selectively more likely to run into crimes committed by people who know they can defeat truth spells. Are there people like that in Galarian? Are there people who can defeat truth spells? Not that I know of, but one doesn't imagine they'd advertise it. I'd be kind of surprised if Nefredi Klopati couldn't. Anyway, powerful wizards mostly don't have to listen to courts anyway. Places outside Cheliacs. So I'm not sure they'd bother beating truth spells rather than saying, yeah, I murdered that person. What are you going to do about it? Can we actually go back to the part about the Confidential Criminal Court Calibration Commission, says Peranza, who's nearby listening in fascination. Nobody has actually briefed her that Meritzel is running seduction on Keltham and should maybe be left undisturbed. Dothilani criminals file secret reports of what they actually did. They can, and we give them some reason to. If your next question is how we know we can trust the criminals' confidential reports of what actually happened during the crime, the answer is that we don't trust them based on everybody being that lawful, but sometimes later decisive evidence turns up. That gives us a picture of how often the criminals tell the truth in their confidential reports. I don't remember the exact figure, but it's high. Civilization is careful not to give the criminal any incentive to lie, and if decisive evidence turns up later, a reporting criminal gets paid. Not as much as the crime will cost them, but some, and that's only if they told the truth. I hope I don't have to explain that the criminals trust governance confidentiality, because yes, governance actually is that lawful. They have incentives to be. Or at least incentives to never, ever get caught not being such, Meritzel does not say. What happens if you confidentiality submit a report of a crime that hasn't had its effects yet, like, you released a deadly plague but it hasn't yet been discovered? They keep it a secret. If they wouldn't, the confidential report wouldn't have been submitted, and we wouldn't actually be any better off. Releasing deadly plagues kinda is a thing you don't talk about in civilization, in much the same way that Galarianites might not consider it a fun party conversation to discuss how you'd theoretically murder someone's spouse. It's not that Dathilani do that often, it's that the losses are so potentially huge if anyone does. I think the equivalent here would be a rule that Rovagug release jokes are not funny. The girls nod fervently. Keltham is pondering whether Meritzel is attempting to flirt with him using some gender trope that he is just absolutely failing to recognize at all. And if he should possibly attempt to flirt back at very high initial levels of plausible deniability. Asmodia finishes her plate, puts it away, and approaches the possible protagonist of a frantically God-constructed romance novel. Keltham, says the love interest entirely uninterested in love, so far as she knows. Is this a good time for us to go off and have a private conversation about why you thought I'd have superpowers? Also, nobody has briefed Asmodia that Meritzel was running seduction on Keltham and should be left undisturbed. Meritzel hasn't told anyone she is running seduction on Keltham because then they might judge her for failing, which would be the worst thing in history. She'll tell them once she's succeeded, which she will eventually. Surely. She glares cheerfully at Asmodia. Sorry, Meritzel. Keltham says, thereby acknowledging that he was talking to her in particular throughout lunch, which hopefully counts as any counter-flirting at all, deniably. Maybe later? Asmodia's question probably has any priority on it. It's not like Meritzel isn't hot. The fortress is not, by and large, as pretty as an archduke's villa. Not even close. 
It does have the advantage that it's being explicitly renovated, on a somewhat larger Otolmans-funded budget than before. Parts have been hastily redesigned for something like the real uses to which this fortress will be put. If you leave the library-adjacent dining area and go up a narrow spiral of stairs, there's a hastily constructed but already slightly pretty private dining area with a lockable door and quieting spell, three comfortable chairs around a small decorative table, an enchanted window that looks out on the ocean but doesn't let out any light the other way, and a secret door that leads to a soundproofed cuddle room. It is the Keltham Seduction Room. Somebody literally put that name on the first edition of the Fortress layout map that went up in Malal's official office, the one Keltham knows about, along with the secret cuddle room explicitly marked. And the mistake was barely caught before Keltham got a look at this official map. The girls had in fact not been explicitly authorized to know about this architectural feature, until approved for the use of some particular seduction operation. Unfortunately, the first person to spot the map error as such was Paxty. Now they all know, and furthermore don't know this was supposed to be a secret. Keltham is openly appreciative as he enters the private dining area. Oh, lovely, he says, looking out through the ocean view. I should have looked earlier to see what was up here. It occurs to Asmodia that Keltham's first time seeing this room is probably wasted on the two of them in particular. Oh well. Not like she gives any shits. I heard about it from Peranza, who, if I had to guess, heard about it from Paxti, Asmodia says. I expect it's meant more for you and Sevar, or you and whoever, but it seems like it'd also work for private conversations. Modulo. The obvious part with security listening to the conversation, and to her thoughts, which cannot be read. She's got to try to think fewer unreadable thoughts. Does she actually feel attracted to Keltham, in accordance with the tropes Savar was talking about for Dathilani romance novels? Not that Asmodia can tell, at all. Mm. Sounds like you're being careful to emphasize this isn't a Keltham and Carissa situation? Actually, no. Not at this point. It actually is a private conversation. When I came back from hell, I was told there was a crown order to determine if I had any superpowers. Later you asked me about that. I asked why people were asking me that. I realized I hadn't actually been briefed on the classification status of the crown order and shouldn't have said that in public. Queried that to security. Eventually got an answer. And now I've found that at least you're allowed to know the crown order exists. Which would make sense if you started the whole thing. But anyways, I'm now allowed to talk about that with you. Or rather, I always was allowed to talk about it, but now I know that. Is this where, now that we're in private, you say that you did in fact get superpowers, and you want to know how I knew? No, it's where I ask if I was supposed to get superpowers. Should I be going back to hell and asking somebody for them, for example? Sorry about that. I didn't mean to create false hope. This particular hope isn't likely to go away until I know more about why you would have thought I'd get superpowers. Ideally, with math attached, math would be great. <laughs> Sometimes people here talk not entirely unlike civilized folk. So remember when I asked everybody to rate how much of a surprising hidden backstory they probably have? Yes. I put down that I wasn't special. At all. Oof. I was checking a hypothesis about how I got here, where I landed, which predicted a result that I, in fact, got about how many girls in the class would rate themselves as pretty surprising. 
and how that would square with how surprising most girls thought the average should be. Ione and Pilar, if they were honest. Well, you asked people to be honest or not respond at all, so I should say, if they responded at all. And if Pilar already knew at that point, I forget what the timeline was on her. Was there anybody else? Can't answer that. I didn't warn people I might tell others the total results. The point is, the results I got matched a pattern. That pattern also matches Pilar going to Elysium and Ione delivering prophecies. If you'd happened to die and then come back with superpowers, that would have matched too. This would make more sense if I'd gotten as far into my probability lecture as I was hoping for. It's important, doing these things, to try to say what will happen in advance. I was trying to do that with you, to guess that you would end up in the same category as Ione and Pilar. Asmodia knows more than she's supposed to, or thinks she's supposed to know. She should have asked Sivar about that. She needs to work the conversation around to where she's definitely supposed to know. Does this category also include, by any chance, Sivar? Yes, though not, so far as I know, and have been assured by the Grand High Priestess, in the sense of any god having touched Carissa. I'll be blunt. Do the girls in the category need to be attracted to you? I'm not. Or at least, I haven't ended up attracted to you yet. Keltham doesn't suppress the smile that comes from verifying that girls are allowed to say that to him, thereby rendering meaningful other possible signals on that channel. I mean, they need to be able to be attracted to me, on the pattern I think I'm seeing. So, if you're pretty confident you'll never be attracted to me, now that you've met me, then yeah, that would exclude you from the category. Unless you're the asexual. Asexual, Asmodia repeats. Maybe a Taldane translation would be asexual, somebody who doesn't experience sexual attraction. If Keltham were a Chelish person or able to read Chelish people, Asmodia might possibly have failed a bluff check. He isn't, and he can't, so she hasn't. Can you possibly back up and explain what this category is? Asmodia says. What this whole pattern is. I was thinking something that just got contradicted, like, the category is interesting girls who you can also have romances with. She needs to dance carefully around the Keltham Corruption Project and not ruin it where security will write down that she did. Though, I mean, it's not like you couldn't have sex with an asexual, I guess, if that's what you were into. If I paid her enough, you mean? Sure. Is that why an asexual would be in the category and part of the pattern for you? No, actually. It's not. My pattern. It's something out of Dathilan that's in my memories, and the exact nature of it is something that wouldn't be easy to explain. But in the pattern, somebody, a man in this particular sub-pattern, though there are female versions too, comes across three to five very interesting girls with whom it's possible to have romances. Sometimes, though not always, there's an additional girl, an asexual, who has a special status within the pattern, often that she's the one standing back and watching the whole thing happen and talking with you about it. You might still date her and have a romance with her, maybe also marry her alongside the other girls. But you don't have sex with her at all. That's the point. E. Well, that wasn't what she was expecting to hear at all. Now seems like a great time for a distraction. I'm trying to think of what the math we learned about probabilities today could say about a puzzle like this one, and not really coming up with much. That would have been easier to explain if we'd had the lecture I'm hoping for this afternoon first. We do have the option of breaking now and resuming at dinner, 
if it's really a place where things will be much easier to understand after one more lecture. Which would give Asmodia time to flee, followed by time to think. Both of those kinds of time sound like good forms of time to have. You know, since it's you, I'll try improvising and see if you just get it. The general principle is, we compare the different ways reality could be, the different worlds we could be living in, and see whether our observations are more or less probable in different worlds. The fact that you didn't immediately say whether or not you were asexual and asked me more questions about asexuals doesn't prove you're an asexual. But you're more likely to do that if you're currently going, wait what inside yourself about how I mysteriously just nailed your sexuality. Possibly one you didn't know was a standard sexuality five minutes ago, if Taldane has no word for asexual. So my probability on you being asexual went up after that. Not up to certainty. Just up. That said, the basic challenge, on a problem like this one where you didn't carefully write down your predictions in advance, is that you overestimate how much your favorite theory predicts things and underestimate how much your less favorite theories predict things. I didn't expect, on being invited up here, that you were going to tell me you weren't currently attracted to me. It's not something the pattern told me to expect in advance. Afterwards, I thought of a different part of the pattern that could fit it. But the pattern is a very large one and has a lot of potential variations, and you can probably twist it around to fit anything. The question is, how far did you have to twist it, and how much does that lower the probability it assigns? At least in Dath Ilan, I don't know about Galarion, asexuals are not really that uncommon, and more common among women than men. The chance of there being an asexual in a group this size is already probably something like 50%, and if anything, I'd guess that fewer than 50% of the instances of the pattern I was talking about have an asexual in them. You could think about whether Asmodia is a special case of a random research group member because she went to hell and came back with no superpowers and now has a reason to talk with me, and whether it would be on theme for the pattern if the asexual was the one interesting girl who didn't have a weird background but was just very respectable by being better at law than anyone. But the more you twist things around like that, and specify more additional facts to make things fit, the more the probability goes down and down. It's like asking if a rival merchant ship will come in with a cargo of shoes from Absalom, instead of asking whether a competing supply of shoes appears in the city for any reason at all. Asmodia nods along. She is tracking this. It unfortunately requires that she not process any of her other questions about what usually happens to asexuals in Dathalani romance novels whether Keltham is suddenly offering her a much better deal on a marriage than she's likely to get anywhere else in Cheliax, or any suppressed panic she has about what Sevar will do to her if she accidentally offers Keltham any confirmation of tropes theory by being asexual. And how much she may have already given herself away, and whether she should try to lie to Keltham about it. By the way, security. If you're listening, Sevar needs to be brought into this loop and caught up. A lie to Keltham may be required very soon. Please acknowledge. Light forehead tap of acknowledgement. It's really not the least bit impossible, in a world that isn't being influenced by this pattern at all, that I come up with a weird theory about you getting superpowers after coming back from death, which is just completely wrong. This in a totally natural and ordinary way causes you to ask me some questions about that, and it comes up in the conversation that you're not attracted to me. 
which girls are allowed to be even if they're not asexual. Though, if it is because you're asexual and not just unattracted to me personally. It does seem a little improbable that they'd put an asexual in a group that was, I assume, put together the way this one must have been. Or did they not know that about you? She needs to lie. There's no time for Sevar to be brought up to speed if she's not in loop already. She'll use the lie that Sevar already authorized. It doesn't completely not fit. What I'm trying to figure out right now is actually more like, if hypothetically I say something like, I've ever felt attraction to a boy one time, or a girl one time, even if nothing happened there because they didn't want me. So I could maybe possibly feel that for you. That means I don't get any superpowers. So I'd be thinking, maybe it wasn't real attraction, and I don't even know what that would actually feel like. Because if it wasn't real attraction, I can maybe still be the asexual and get whatever nice things asexuals get when they're part of a pattern like the one you describe. Does Dathilan have any way to tell for certain whether somebody is asexual? No, it doesn't. I'm sorry. People have looked hard for a test like that and not found it. Civilization does try very hard not to send asexuals a message that they need to be anything other than they are. But a lot of asexuals themselves still feel like they got a raw deal from biology. And if that's the way you feel, well, there are all these cases where somebody thought they were asexual for years, and then it turns out that they started being able to feel attraction to this one person they eventually met or got to know well enough. It's not even all that rare. Which means that for the rest of the asexuals, if they don't want to be what they are, they can never be sure. It's one of the more genuinely awful fates in Dathilan that a pretty significant chunk of the population gets handed that civilization hasn't been able to fix. There's been a massive search for drugs that will induce sexual desire in asexuals, not because it's wrong to be asexual, but because there's so many of them who do say for themselves that's not what they want to be, and are offering huge drug bounties on it. As of when I left civilization, all the drugs they'd ever found weren't very good and had large side effects. On the plus side, from my perspective, because I don't actually want to be in a pattern like that, an asexual who isn't sure she's asexual, who doesn't want to be asexual, who might eventually end up attracted to the protagonist and not have to be asexual anymore, is some degree of evidence against that pattern holding here. Actually fairly strong evidence against it holding, at least in this particular case because, like, that is a problematic message they'd never put in there. Flaming shit would that end up in the ill-advised consumer goods store. Does that hold here? I notice you were careful to say hypothetically and so on. The desirable lie to Keltham seems obvious, given her goals and Sevar's goals. But Asmodia will look down uncertainly and give security a moment to tell her something, just in case Sevar has already been caught up on the transcript. Yeah, Asmodia says quietly after that pause. Does that mean you're not interested in doing the thing you'd do inside the pattern with somebody who knew she was asexual and was happy about that? Carissa is in the middle of catching up. Okay, but Asmodia does have superpowers. She's pretty sure. And is actually asexual. She's pretty sure. Is Trope's theory actually true? That's not how Keltham would think about it, just balances of evidence either way, but the balances of evidence weigh in favor of Trope's theory more than they've let Keltham realize. Is she actually a secret cleric? The Grand High Priestess's reassurance was carefully worded. No, that's stupid. 
Does Asmodaya have superpowers and how? Ask her, she says to security, to ask Keltham what superpowers she would have gotten if asexual. Because she is. So maybe she got them. We can always make our own Eero LARP with our own rules for it, if that's what we both want. I mean, the reason why that's part of the pattern in the first place is that it's something a lot of people would want for ordinary reasons. That there's somebody in the pattern who they can talk to without worrying about whether that's leading to sex. The most common outcome in civilization is for asexuals to marry each other. To the point where it's an issue with respect to assortative mating prevention. But there's more female than male asexuals. So the second most common outcome for a female asexual who wants a stable heterosexual relationship is that she finds a man who can manage multiple relationships, who can have enough sex for himself with other women, but he could still use additional cuddles or emotional support or everything else that isn't about sex. Asmodia gets the security notification and feels the ice slide through her because it's obvious exactly what Sivar is thinking. She doesn't see any way to avoid it. What superpowers would I have gotten if I'd been all the way asexual, according to the pattern? Most probably, the superpower of being the best at math, and being in on the ground floor of Project Lawful, and having a chance to revolutionize Galarian, and someday ending up incredibly rich. I mean, speaking of sending messages that aren't problematic, that sure is one that most authors will take an opportunity to mention. At some point, so that everybody in civilization doesn't get a constant bombardment of fiction carrying the message that you need candy powers or prophecy powers in order to ever be important or worth dating? Okay, but if there's a thing in the genre of prophecy superpowers or candy superpowers, do you know what it'd be? Still no way to avoid it. And in the less probable case where there's something like prophecy superpowers or candy superpowers... I'm curious what I missed by, apparently this time, not being asexual enough. Not really the way I'd recommend thinking about it, but... Well, first of all, you'd be much more likely to be a combat ace, or an all-anti-powerful nullifying ace, in the version of the pattern where everything is much more sexualized, and we're constantly fighting off sexy Zonkuthon agents bent on dragging us away to have sex with us. In which case, the classic form of the trope is that they can't use sexual mind control on you. And maybe you can also bop somebody on the head and make them snap out of the mind control. I admit that is not what I was expecting to hear, Asmodia says. And if it wasn't that, I'm still trying to grasp what this whole pattern is. It's not a good look on her at this point, if she makes Savar force her to say it. Those actually are the top two obvious possibilities. If it wasn't that... If it was a deconstructed version of the trope, where it's supposed to be a non-sexy shadow of the sexy thing, something about nullification, maybe, something you can prevent, or that you're immune to, or something that conveyed, like, how people can care for each other in a way that has nothing to do with sex. Well, she needs to say something before Keltham starts getting suspicious. I was thinking that this pattern you keep talking about was the dath Ilani equivalent of awful pre-Asmodean books. Romance novels, full of, how did you put it, problematic messages, about women who stand around being pretty and conceited until a man decides he's really attracted to her, and wants to do all the work of giving her a happy life without her having to be clever about it at all. I'm increasingly confused about what this is instead of that. So imagine that you started from there, 
took up the average intelligence of the reader by six points and the average intelligence of the author by eight or ten points. And then there was a civilization of people, many of whom had sufficient spare time for things to get really, really, really overcomplicated. And you may understand why I am not even trying to explain what an anthropic selection effect that looks like a meta-Erolarp based on deconstructive secondary literature of an Erolarp would be. It's looking like a moot point. A lot of the theory's predictions seem increasingly like false starts and looking up at clouds that weren't shaped to be faces and trying to identify a nose and a mouth until you twist yourself around to seeing faces in the clouds. Are we done here, Savar? This looks like a good outcome for the project, maybe the best possible one. And Asmodia very much wants to quit while she's ahead. Yep. All done, you can pursue your not-romance with Keltham or not-as-you-wish as long as you're in good standing. I probably want to go off and think about this. Do you already know whether you'd want an almost asexual in your pattern, if other things worked out? I do not think that quickly any more than you do. By the way, I notice I have a pending question you didn't answer, about how somebody like yourself ended up in the group of girls that got sent here. I'd otherwise imagine there'd be a screening question, like, are you liable to be okay having sex with Governance's sperm harvesting target after a relatively short acquaintance? This seems like a really bad question to even visibly hesitate on. I mean, I can still have high-intelligence kids with somebody. I did not plan on going the rest of my life never having sex with anyone even for purposes of having kids, and I was okay with having more sex than just the minimum for those kids. She knows that's an unauthorized lie. Asmodia's judgment was that it would have looked very suspicious to delay to ask for authorization. Yep, fine. I do have any additional questions about that, but should probably bother Carissa with them rather than you. You want I should go back downstairs myself and leave you in this nice room to think? Yeah. He does. She does. Actually, Keltham is back, looking sheepish, and wants to know the classification status on Asmodia's mostly asexuality. It's not a secret. Tell whoever. He's gone again. If you wish to support this AI reading and others like it, please visit patreon.com slash askwhocastsai. Any help is appreciated. And thank you to executive producer John Doe 7776059.